Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. As we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Just the first part of verse 18. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we come before You this morning, we pray that You would be with us as we open Your Word. We recognize that Your Word is not merely some textbook that we learn from. It is not merely an academic exercise of opening Your Word and understanding the words in our own language or even in some ancient language. But these are the words of life given to a covenant people that have been redeemed since the foundation of the earth that the very Son of God gave His life for. So Lord, we pray that You would help us because so often we come to Your Word with different expectations, either expecting it to say a certain thing that we want, expecting it to change so that we might be satisfied, expecting to have our own desires met. So Lord, as we come to it, we pray that You would change us and that we would glorify Your name through it. We not only pray that for this church, but as we consider our community, we pray that in each community in town that Your name is being lifted up, that the name of Jesus is being presented as the only name under heaven by which one can be saved. We pray that the gospel is going forth, that even though we don't share in agreement each word of doctrine that we share, that we have in this church, we do agree that your name, the name of Jesus, should be lifted up. And Lord, we pray to that end, that you indeed will be glorified today and all days, that the people of Murray, Kentucky would hear the name of Jesus and that they would turn to you and be saved. So Lord, we pray again that as we come together as we gather around your word this morning, that you would bless our time, that you would be here with us, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as I read this passage, Philippians 1, starting at verse 12, it made me think of of a movie that's uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's the movie Glory. It's got Matthew Broderick in it, and Morgan Freeman, and Denzel Washington, and and the guy that plays Wesley from Princess Bride. So it's like all those really good actors. And Broderick plays a man by the name of Colonel Robert Shaw. And Robert Shaw has been tasked with bringing together the first African-American regiment. And so each of the men that, that join, that volunteer for this particular group of soldiers has is joining for lots of different reasons. Even Shaw himself joins for different reasons. And there, of course, for some of them, it was the promise of freedom. These were all slaves for the most part that were joining. Not all, but most of them were. So they were the promise of freedom. For others, it was the promise of revenge in that freedom, right? Getting back at their their former owners. And there was even one man who was a freed black man. And for him, it was the wanting to be able to experience or have others experience the freedom that he grew up with where he grew up. And so there's all these different motivations coming together. It's a fantastic movie. Strongly recommend it. Whatever the motivation, though, these men were called together in order to combat a common cause, and that was to win the war for the North against the, against the South. 
As we come to this section of Philippians today, we're going to see competing motivations when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. And it's not too hard to insert this into any day or any kind of time in history because we all know what it looks like for two people or factions to have the same goal in mind, but differing motivations in achieving that goal. In the church, this is hard because sometimes those motivations can be sinful. Even though the goal is not sinful, the motivation itself could be. And that's a hard one to understand how we should navigate, even when it comes to assessing our own motivations in preaching and advancing the gospel of Christ. And so as we work through this passage today, we'll see how God is able to orchestrate all things, even those bad motivations, in order to advance the message of the gospel. So as we can look at this passage, we'll consider three main ideas. First, the advance of the gospel. Second, motives in preaching the gospel. And then thirdly, the proclamation of the gospel. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18a. Please stand with me in the reading of God's holy word. Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what was what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just a little bit of context first as we get started. Remember last week we began our study in this book and we looked at Paul's thankfulness concerning the Philippian church and kind of his introductory statements of the book. His thankfulness stemmed from the fact that they had offered him help and the apostle was quick to point out that their hospitality to him wasn't just a simple act, but this was the work of the Spirit in their lives. Much more that God would complete this work that he had begun in them. That their love would grow, and this wasn't just a simple kind of love, but this was a love that has knowledge and discernment that was able to approve what is excellent. And ultimately, all of this was to the glory and praise of God. With his introductory remarks out of the way, the apostle begins to relay to them the kinds of things that had been happening to him as he sought to advance the gospel. It's really just a continuation of that understanding that we read above, that God is orchestrating the circumstances in the believer's life in order to grow them and in order to receive glory. Just like we learned in Daniel as we went through that book. It's good for us to see this kind of behind-the-scenes look at the gospel of God going forward, that our circumstances aren't merely a mundane set of seemingly odd events that are there to thwart us, but a carefully orchestrated plan of God who seeks to bring each one of His redeemed home. Remember what Jesus said concerning His sheep, that there are sheep that are not of this fold, speaking to His disciples. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. 
Over and over we see that God's voice is spoken through those who preach the Gospel. God uses the means of preaching in order to save those that are lost. As we move through this text today, we'll see some of the obstacles to that, but how God ultimately has the last say in the outcome as His Word goes out. So that brings us to the first point, the advance of the Gospel. Look at me again at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what was what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. So Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote his letter. When he says this, what has happened to me is what he's referring to. He's continually being put in prison for preaching the Gospel, which depending on where he was in the Roman Empire would have received varying degrees of punishment. As you read through the book of Acts, you see just that. He's stoned sometimes and other times he's just allowed to be there all kinds of different responses but notice he doesn't see his imprisonment as a negative thing rather he sees it as a way god is choosing to advance the gospel look at verse 13 so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ so this whole Roman guard or the praetorium and others that heard the gospel because of his imprisonment in Rome. Ultimately, only God knows the fruit of this of his evangelism behind bars, but this shows that God is, will choose whatever means he deems necessary in order to see the gospel go out. And to be sure and to understand what we're dealing with here, this is not merely God reacting to Paul's circumstances and making the best out of them. This is God ordaining these things that His Word might go out. We do not worship a reactionary God. We worship a God who governs all His creatures and all their actions. In the book of Acts, when Paul was converted, the Lord called upon a man by the name of Ananias to baptize Paul. And God told him, of this, uh, told him, told Ananias this of Paul's mission. He said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings to the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This was Paul's lot, even from his beginning, that he was going to suffer for the name of Christ. Paul continued his continued imprisonments, his beatings, his sufferings, his eventual execution even, were all God's ordained plan in order to bring about the truth of his gospel to the Gentiles. And the Philippian church was definitely evidence of this. So when we read verse 14, now we see where he's coming from. We worship a God who brings about circumstances, who raises up people in order to advance the work of the gospel. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Knowing that God uses all things to advance the gospel, how much more bold should we be in our presentation of the gospel? Why should it concern us what the world thinks of us when we present the gospel of Christ to them? Now, to be careful here, we aren't to be rude or arrogant or obnoxious 
You know, that the fact that we can be bold doesn't mean that we can be rude or mean to people. We are called to preach the clear truth of the Bible, and boldness is necessary because by preaching the truth, you are necessarily preaching that there's only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. You are excluding all other ways. The gospel of Christ is very exclusive. You are excluding all other ways but Jesus. You are leaving no room for doubt. Jesus is, in fact, the only way to the Father. That doesn't mean that we mistreat people, though. doesn't mean that we insult or belittle. The Christian isn't standing on this place of truth on this high place that we have, that we have the only truth because we have climbed up here ourselves. That's not how it works. We are standing here because God took the dead in their sins and made them alive together in Christ. It's like in our story from 2 Samuel today. Mephibosheth wasn't at the table of the king because he earned his spot. He was carried to the table of the king. The only thing we have to boast about is Jesus. And so that is what we should do. And that message, that message that Jesus alone will save the sinner is offensive on its own. Our presentation can be plain and that message is offensive. We should offer love and understanding, compassion and mercy. These are the attributes of Christ who while on this earth gave His life who used those very attributes to see His Word go forth. Why should we do anything different? This boldness with the Gospel is part of our sanctification. Notice here what's going on. The brothers having become confident in the Lord are much more bold to speak. What happened to them? Something changed in them. The Lord is using Paul's circumstance to change these people. This is something of the Lord's continued work in us. It takes different forms in all people. I think oftentimes when we think of boldly preaching, we think of like standing in on Main Street corner or something and screaming out the gospel. That is bold, don't get me wrong, but that's not the only type of boldness, right? Being bold is not always walking up to strangers or street preaching. Anymore, it takes boldness to just take a stand for the truth, an uncompromising, unwavering truth. And with all this optimism and watching the gospel go forward, there is still division in the church, right? As we read going forward, there's always going to be division. There's always going to be competing motivations this side of heaven because, well, because we're the ones doing it. As Paul looks at these two types of preachers of the gospel here, we're able to relate with both, I think. And that brings us to the next point, motives in preaching the gospel. Look with me at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And so there's a division in the church for some reason. It doesn't seem to be the reason that we've encountered in other books of the New Testament as we've been going through some of the letters of Paul in Galatians, right? There was a clear rivalry, but it was it was the very essence of the, the gospel. It was a doctrinal kind of rivalry where there was a definite right and wrong. The Judaizers being on one side and the, the truth being on the other side, right? And there was a definite doctrinal divide, but here that doesn't seem to be the case. Rather, it seems to be about attitudes, about motivations. Doctrine is easy to fix. It's easy to teach. 
It's easy to learn. Attitudes, on the other hand, take a lifetime of work. Paul mentions two distinct attitudes here, so we'll look at both. First, he mentions this idea of this group preaching from a good will. This is further qualified in verse 16. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The idea here of good will is the idea of doing in order, doing something in order to please God. There isn't anything selfish in their motivation. They truly want to please the Lord in their preaching. And added to this, Paul picks up on the idea that they're, they're picking up where he left off, right? That in the, the defense of the truth, that's why they're doing this. Paul is in prison, so who will, who will continue on? They're filling this gap, so to speak, where Paul left, that Paul is there to defend the gospel, and so he, they, he can't, and so then who was going to pick up that mantle? In that movie Glory that I mentioned, there's a scene where the commander, Commander Shaw, is getting ready to lead his men into a battle that's going to be a very tense battle, and he is next to this person who's carrying the American flag, and he looks at that man and he says, if this man were to fall, who will carry the flag for him? Who is going to carry the flag? And if, if you watch the movie, there's this, it's this whole thing right about about who's going to do that and how the, how the men grow together. It's a really moving scene. This act of picking up the work where others have fallen, in the case of Paul's imprisonment, but throughout the generations. Just think of how this plays itself out in just normal everyday life, where the saints of God are finally called home to be with Him as some some minister or some saint passes away. Who is going to then carry the banner of the gospel? To do so isn't a work of celebrity or selfish ambition. You're preaching a message that will win you no awards, that might even get you thrown into prison or worse. And it's a message about the work that someone else has done, that someone else has done on your behalf, in fact, that you couldn't do. In fact, you wouldn't do it. And who's going to necessarily get all the glory? It's a message that countless, nameless thousands have preached throughout the centuries and they have died, and they have been forgotten. The idea of preaching from goodwill is the idea of preaching such that God gets all the glory and the hearer gets all the benefit. The one who shares the gospel is benefiting well, of course, as we saw above, the Lord uses this opportunity to grow them in their boldness. Yet we must understand that to preach the gospel necessarily means to take a back seat. And to put God on the center stage. The apostle is praising this kind of work. But he's sure to mention the other. He mentions preaching from rivalry. Look at verse 17. The former, those preaching from envy and rivalry, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in their imprisonment. For whatever reason, these people who are preaching in this way saw Paul as a threat for some reason. Probably uh, not a doctrinal difference. And it's not like, again, not like the Judaizers, yet they preach in order to make themselves look better to, out of envy, out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition. They were not preaching out of a good will in order to please God, but rather preaching in order to find the pleasure of man. And we have to be careful here. I want us to be really, really careful here. 
because it's very easy to read this passage, to read that there's these preaching out of goodwill and that there's these preaching out of selfish ambition, envy, and rivalry, and then for us to pull the prayer of the publican out of our back pocket and say, thank God that I'm not like this. We can become the thing that we despise very quickly if we're not careful. We all know that for everyone who proclaims the name of Christ out of goodwill, there are those who proclaim the name of Christ out of selfish ambition. Sure, we know that. I would like to hope that if that were happening behind this pulpit, that it would be dealt with quickly. But when it comes to other churches, when it comes to other ministries that don't directly concern us, we need to be careful how we speak about them, how we talk about them, or talk to them even. I used to think that calling out people was a way to combat this. That, that you need to deal with this directly and publicly when you're, when you're talking about this sort of thing. But I think in some ways it can easily become the same problem. Calling out a church that is preaching Jesus is counterproductive. They're preaching a false gospel by all means. Call it false. Name it. It should be named. That is one thing different. But if the name of Jesus is being lifted high, if He is being set apart as the only way to the Father, who are we to judge the motives of the people who aren't in our care and who aren't under our roof? We need to be careful when it comes to our words concerning other churches, pastors, and ministries. Oftentimes I have been the worst offender of this, and for that I ask your forgiveness. For some reason, these folks in 17 thought that they could afflict Paul with their message. But Paul, notice, he had a totally different outlook on this when it came to his understanding of this. And I believe this is one that we should adopt as well. And so that brings us to the final point. Look with me at verse 18, the proclamation of the gospel. So Paul comes to this point. There's this one motivation that's preaching out of goodwill that's good. There's this other motivation that's preaching out of envy and rivalry, even trying to get me somehow. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. So those who are preaching out of selfish ambition were preaching the message of Christ. Paul says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Essentially what he's saying is, look, whether this is all for show or whether they truly mean well, the name of Christ is going out. The truth is being preached. When I think of the amount of mental energy that I have wasted being concerned about another ministry's methods or another person's arrogance in preaching the gospel, it saddens me. Rather, I should know that the same God who is able to orchestrate a prison sentence in order to see the whole Roman praetorium hear the gospel, that same God is able to use an arrogant men or women or questionable methods to see the name of Jesus go out. I know that God is able to use less than good things to do His work because He has used me to do His work. Jesus dealt with this in his life as he taught the apostles how to do ministry with other folks who weren't like-minded. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. 
verses 38 through 41. This is the first passage that came to mind when I read from this portion of Philippians. Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. John said to him, speaking to Jesus, he said, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So here's the Apostle John is saying, look, I there was this dude who was driving out demons and I stopped him because he's not with us, Jesus. It's like he's almost like, see what I did? Where's my sticker? Right? Jesus calls him out. He rebukes him. They think they were doing the right thing. Again, so be careful here. It wasn't as if John had some sort of malice in stopping that other guy. It wasn't as if he saw an enemy and like ran across the field to tackle him or something crazy. Right? This guy was casting out demons, but he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, so John thought he was helping by kind of dealing with the situation. Yet Jesus corrects him. And He helps him to understand that if they aren't against us, then they are for us. There's only two sides in this equation. Those who are with Jesus and those who are against Him. And I love verse 41. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose their reward. And it, for me, it's, it, it's the question. Are we offering a cup of water to those who minister alongside us in Christ? Or are we doing like John? Hey, you need to stop. And I want to be careful here because it's not wrong to have distinctives. We definitely have distinctives as a church. I mean, that's one of the things that we're, that we're studying our distinctives on Wednesday night. We, we are proud of our distinctives. We are Reformed. We are Presbyterian. We have distinctives in how, the way that we think about programming, the way that we think about the work of the church and the ministry of the church. And these things are right and good, and we even celebrate them as a church, right? This is who, this is what makes us who we are. That who, this is who we've always been as a church. Yet there are others who do the work of Christ, who do not share our distinctives. They may even differ with us significantly on points of doctrine. In fact, a lot of people do. Yet as long as they proclaim the Jesus of the Scriptures, who are we to stop them or stand in our way? There's really only one person or one being that stands in the way of the advance of the Gospel, and we do not want to be aligned with Him. Who are we to attempt to impede the advance of the Gospel of Christ? We preach Christ and Him crucified. If you do not know Jesus this morning, He is the only way to the Father. And I hope that has been clear. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But if you do know Him, pray for the advance of the Gospel in this town, in this state, in this world. Pray that God would continue to use this pulpit in order to see the gospel be advanced in this city. Pray that God would use the other pulpits in this town. Our brothers and sisters across the street over here. 
The churches that had a rock concert this morning. The churches that didn't have any instruments at all this morning. The churches that had a thousand people come to worship and the ones that had ten. Pray that God would see His message go out that the name of Jesus would be lifted high so that the lost might be saved. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we many times have been ones who would impede, who would stand in the way of Your truth going out. For that, Lord, we ask Your forgiveness. Lord, help us to be sure of our own distinctives, but more than that, to be sure that the name of Jesus Christ is the only name under heaven by which man might be saved. And help us to celebrate when the advance of your name is going out wherever, however it is going out. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.